This is Victoria, producer for The Felon File, a podcast on law enforcement history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains of the United States and beyond. Scott Lunsford hosts The Felon File. Scott is a retired American police sergeant. Background and intro music through purpleplanet.com. Scott, stand by to switch to your microphone and control board. Thank you, Victoria, for opening us up, and welcome back to another episode of The Felon File. And as Victoria said, I am your host, Scott Lunsford, with some stories on crime, punishment, incidents that have happened in western North Carolina, the Appalachian Mountains, and beyond there. And today we're going to go beyond a couple of different locations. But I hope you'll find this story of interest. Considering what's going on in the world right now, it looks like history sometimes does repeat itself. Eh, It depends on who you're talking to, I guess. But we shall see. Now, our Shade of Blue story for today relates to, like I said, history being made here in the United States today. But in reality, this is a totally different situation. We'll start this shade of blue story by introducing you to a gentleman by the name of Henry West, William Henry West, also known as Private West or Officer West. William West was born enslaved in September of 1842 sometime. Unfortunately, we don't have exactly when. And we don't have an accurate record of who his parents were. Only that they were, at the time of his birth, living in Prince George's County, Virginia. They were the property of a slave owner. Now, we do know that at the age of 25, West was able to separate himself from slavery. And in 1863, he joined the Union Army and fought in the American Civil War. He was a soldier in Company K, 30th United States Colored Infantry, an all-black unit created by the United States War Department on May 22, 1863. The infantry was composed of African-American troops and was commanded by white officers. The 30th United States Colored Infantry saw fighting at the Siege of Petersburg, The Battle of the Crater, which is an interesting story in itself. On July 30th, uh, Union forces had tunneled under General Burnside's men, and they blew up a mine, or they set off a very large explosion underneath Confederate General Burnside's lines, blowing a gap in the Confederate defenses of Petersburg, Virginia. And this is when things deteriorated very rapidly for the Union attackers, the 30th U.S. Colored Infantry being among them. The Confederates referred to this battle as a turkey shoot. Union troops charged into and around the crater where most of them ended up getting stuck down in the bottom, where they were shot at and many killed from the higher ground. General Ulysses S. Grant considered this failed assault Quote, the saddest affair I have witnessed in this war. Now we'll get back to General Grant in just a minute. 
Some of the other battles that the 30th saw action in, the Battle of Plank Road, the First Battle of Fort Fisher, the Second Battle of Fort Fisher, several campaigns in the Carolinas to include the occupation of the city of Raleigh at the end of the war. The regiment lost a total of 225 men during its Civil War service. If you look at the compiled statistics and military service records, there was about 185,000 individuals that served in the USCT, the United States Colored Troops. After the war, Private West married Catherine Katie Bowie on June 11, 1867 in Washington, D.C. The couple eventually ended up having six children. Now on August 1st, 1871, because of his service record, West was appointed to Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police Force. He was one of two African-American officers that served on that police force. Private West, or Officer West, is identified as Simon, Simon West, in the group photograph that was made at the 3rd Precinct when a photograph of all the officers assigned there was produced. Then as now, for police departments, a lot of times it's a reaction response to things that have gone wrong or things that have happened. Now after being on the force for about a year, Officer West was assigned by his superiors to patrol the area of 12th Street and M Street in Metro DC. This was in response to a series of accidents at that location involving reckless carriage driving and speeding horses and the like. The telling moment was apparently when a mother and her six-year-old child were injured very seriously by a speeding carriage where the driver was not paying attention and was going too fast to control it and ended up running over the mother and child not altogether different from today's response to an automobile accident in speeding residential areas where they move officers into a location to hopefully cut back on the speeding and maybe prevent future occurrences of accidents. Some things don't change. Tasked by his lieutenant to keep an eye on the speeding carriage drivers in what was called the aristocratic section of the city, now, these individuals, while driving to and from a racetrack in the adjoining neighborhood, the Brightwood neighborhood, some men and other horse racing enthusiasts would often engage in informal contest, giving little thought to pedestrians and other things that were in their path. A trooper once told me that working the interstate highways near or after a NASCAR race was like shooting fish in a barrel. So I guess it was pretty much the same here. Officer West was on the lookout for speeders and dangerous drivers and riders on horses when he was approached by several citizens. Now this happens quite often, even today, when you're on patrol. When something really terrible or bad has happened in an area and you're out there checking things out or just being in the area to hopefully prevent it from happening again, people want to stop and talk to you about it. They want to encourage you to be there. They want to uh, fuss at you, perhaps, about you being there. Whatever. But people come up and talk to you. 
Now, several Washingtonians were discussing with West the incident of the recent carriage accident where the woman or six-year-old child had been injured, and the driver fled before he could be held responsible for his reckless behavior. Now, at this point, Officer West and the people talking to him, they, they looked up and observed an oncoming, speeding, and reckless carriage approaching them. Well, of course, Officer West had to do something about it. I mean, he's got standing there with all these citizens. So, Officer West stepped into the street and flagged down the carriage. Now, he was a bit surprised when he ended up seeing who the driver was. The driver of the speeding carriage was none other than his former commander and the current commander-in-chief of the whole country, President Ulysses S. Grant. Now, hailing him down, Westwood later in an interview with the Evening Star, a newspaper in 1908, uh, would describe the President Grant as looking like, quote, a schoolboy who had been caught in a guilty act by his teacher. Grant reportedly asked him, well, do you, officer, do you think I was violating the speed laws? Well, saying yes, yes he did, West replied. Finally, West warned Grant for speeding his horse and buggy and then released him. Now, in response to that, and a verbal warning is, is good, in response, Grant apologized and promised to hold his team down to the regulation speed and inquired about the individuals injured in the previous accident indicating that the president was actually aware of the speeding problem in the location. Then he took his leave, reiterating that his desire was to drive responsibly. Okay, good. Well, you should have known about that beforehand, Mr. President, but I digress. The very next day, again at his post as he was ordered, on the lookout for speeders and reckless drivers, West noticed a horse and carriage approaching him once more driving hazardously and speeding. There also were several other carriages with horses, men, and riders in this same group. Officer West ran into the oncoming traffic and the African-American officer was able to stop the vehicles. A total of seven of them were stopped. Looking inside the first carriage, guess what? He was surprised to once more see that the driver of the vehicle was none other than President Ulysses S. Grant. West told the President, You know, I'm very sorry, Mr. President. I have to do it. For you are the chief of the nation, and I am nothing but a policeman. But duty is duty, sir, and I will have to place you under arrest. All this time, however, the policeman had skipped over the verbal warning, because apparently he decided it wasn't doing any good, and he ended up arresting a sitting president of the United States for speeding. The president willingly consented to being taken to the police station, even asking West about his wartime experience during the ride. Uh, Grant, leader of the U.S. Army during the Civil War, ensured West he would not face any repercussions for what was going on and for the rest. He told him he admired a man who did his duty. Now, the Evening Star newspaper wrote that President Grant was taken to the police station along with seven other men who were riding with him on horses and in other vehicles. All of them were released on a $20 bond. 
Now, if you go back and check the equivalency rate, that's about $430 in today's money. And the president did not contest the fine or the fact that he was arrested. Now, after paying his bond and taking acceptance and responsibility for actions, President Grant then watched in amusement as his companions, some of them very prominent government officials, protested their arrest on the same speeding charge. All were told to appear in court the following day. But President Grant failed to show up, thereby forfeiting his $20 bond. But he did send word that he was guilty, and he sent a fine and took responsibility of his actions in court. Now, the other upstanding gentlemen, who were Grant's friends and fellow riders, they used their time on the stand to disparage what they referred to as Officer West's outrageous conduct and daring to arrest gentlemen out for a pleasant drive. This is according to several of the newspapers of the day. Well, that's all well and good, but we got to remember the reason why that Officer West was posted there in the first place. Now, word spread fast. What was going on and what was happening in court? And 23 women, all of them described as, quote, of the most refined character, according to the newspapers and media sources, they all testified against the drivers. Either they had seen the event themselves, or they lived in the community, had seen the reckless behavior before, or they had been involved or observed the accident that had occurred several days before previously, where mother and child had been run over. Well, after the ladies finished their testimony, we kind of figure who the judge followed. The judge ordered the men involved to pay heavy fines, much heavier than if they had just kept their mouths shut and accepted responsibility like the president did. Convicted, and they did appeal the decision, all the way up to a higher court, a higher court upheld it. And of course, the appealment resulted in more neighborhood testimony against the men who would still not take responsibility for their actions. Now, after being chastised in an appellate court, the angry men attempted to get Officer West fired for holding them accountable for their reckless driving. Well, this also fell through, as Grant had already sent a messenger to the chief of police right after he was arrested, complimenting West on his fearlessness in making the arrest of the president and making it plain that he would not allow any harm or issues to cause a problem for Officer West. He was only doing his job the way he was supposed to do it, is what the president said. Although this was actually not President Grant's first citation for speeding in the District of Columbia. According to a history researcher and former chief of police, Kathy Lanier, the record shows that Ulysses S. Grant got cited three more times for speeding in his uh, own horse-drawn carriage while he was president of the United States. I'm not exactly sure how many times he was arrested or charged 
after he was president, or once he was no longer president. In his later life, unfortunately, West himself would get into some trouble with the police force. In 1884, West and fellow officer William H. White were brought up before a hearing board for the Metropolitan Police Department on allegations of neglecting their duty. Now, there is speculation that this was still part of retribution against West for the arrest of President Grant's friends after Grant's term of office was over. Also, in 1898, Officer West was accused of not paying a debt of $40. He had borrowed money from a local moneylender, a Miss Terrell. The loan arrangement called for him to pay 10% monthly interest until the loan was paid off. Now, according to an article that I've located on the internet, the history of interest rates over the past 600 years, uh, they have uh, the chart dictating or demonstrating loan interest rates going back quite a while. Now, the average interest rate on a loan in 1898 would have been about 2.5 to 3%, maybe 4%, according to the information I found. So it appears Ms. Terrell was probably a bit of a loan shark. West paid $72 in 19 months, but then stopped paying. This caused Mrs. Terrell to end up filing a lawsuit against him. Fortunately, the lawsuit was dismissed because she was charging illegal interest rates. In another incident involving Officer West in 1901, West was arrested for disorderly conduct incident following an argument that occurred in front of his house. Later that year, he did retire from the Washington, D.C. police force after 30 years of service to the citizens of Washington. William Henry West died on September 15, 1915, at the age of 73. Well, what became a former president Ulysses S. Grant? Well, we know he only was in there for the terms that he was. Uh, president Grant, after no longer being in office, was pretty much run by activity that he was involved in in New York. According to a study at the New York University, historic case against Grant was the only one involving a former president so far and the actions he took or did not take. Writer and President Grant biographer, a Jean Smith, she's written that daily exposure to the nation's titans of finance wedded Grant's acquisition instincts. He wanted to play the game, the money game. Grant was hired by a railroad businessman who had made him president of a railroad line called the Mexican Southern Railroad. The problem being that a railroad has to go somewhere. Unfortunately, Mexican Southern Railway didn't. It went nowhere. Little track ended up being laid and the line never became operational. Grant's son, who apparently was making hand over fist on Wall Street, told Dad, the former president, to try investments in banking. The son had started a firm called Grant and Ward, whose offices were at the same Wall Street address as the railroad. That should have been a clue right there. 
The second name belonged to Ferdinand Ward, who was referred to as uh, one of the wizards of Wall Street at that time. Another man by the name of James Fish, the president of the Marine National Bank, was also involved. The firm did well with annual dividends paid to investors at about 40%, which is really pretty good. Now, remember the saying, when something is too good to be true, it's probably not. Ward was kiting the firm's assets, pledging the same securities over and over again against collateral that didn't exist. He ran multiple loans, using the proceeds from these loans to pay the dividends to investors that they were expecting, basically running a pyramid scheme. Ended up, some people ended up getting suspicious that maybe the firm was inflating its balance sheet, but former President Grant didn't seem to care. I don't think he really understood what was going on. He knew scores of men on Wall Street who had amassed fortunes very quickly, and he just assumed that Ward was doing the same. When the company's finances fell apart, Grant attempted to save the business and rescue his investors. He asked for help from none other than William H. Vanderbilt of the New York Central Railroad. Vanderbilt handed him a check for $150,000. Grant deposited it and attempted to make good on the activities of the bank, the Marine National Bank, but its failure took down the Wall Street Wizards and the business of Grant and Ward. Ward, it seems, had purchased his share with worthless securities and was indicted by a grand jury on charges and convicted. His partner, Mr. Fish, who it turned out, hadn't contributed one cent in cash to the firm. In reality, he was tried and convicted of embezzlement in federal court. Now, according to Smith and his research, Grant had been blindsided. Grant's fortune had been invested with the firm, and the evening he went home after depositing that check from Mr. Vanderbilt and trying to make things good, when he got home, he had $80 in his pocket, and his wife had 130 and that was the sum total of their riches. Grant, in court, discovered that checks he had given Ward, trusting that Ward would deposit them in the bank, had gone into Ward's personal bank account. The question arose later, did General and former President Ulysses S. Grant participate in the fraud, the pyramid scheme to rip off investors? Or was he a victim like everyone else? Writers and researchers tend to believe that he was a victim too. Sometimes we're all just a little too trusting. There are people out there in the world who can talk a great game and make you believe the snow from the sky is really sugar and the rain is whiskey. They're the ones that will sell you a hound dog that will run away and come back to them, allowing them to sell it again. Always keep your guard up. Well, that's our Shade of Blue story for today. I hope you found it interesting. And if you like, you can compare it to what's happening in the world today elsewhere and see what you come up with. But in the meantime, don't cheat anybody. 
And if you have the opportunity, do something nice for somebody. It's really the right thing to do. And hopefully, if more people did good things, the world wouldn't be as big a mess as we are in right now. Victoria and I do want to mention that we're going to be doing, having a change come up in our scheduling for Felon File. Uh, due to the amount of research that we're running into to produce and present really good stories, or stories I hope you enjoy and find of interest, we're going to start doing our program instead of once a week on Saturday. We're going to go every other week so that we have a little more time to put together some really good stories, I hope. Now, we're still going to have occasional bonuses that will pop up. And if you keep check on the websites and, and sign up for uh, updates on whatever podcast platform you're using, you'll get notifications of those as, a, as they occur. Again, we're going to be switching to an every other week episode, new episode. I hope you don't mind. If you have questions, opposing viewpoints, or you want to type out a yelling letter to us, you can send us an email at felonfile at gmail.com and also reach us at our websites, felonfile.com and scottlunsfordauthor.com. Hopefully we're going to have some more news for you too in the next little bit on some other projects we're working. In the meantime, be safe and be secure, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, y'all. This has been The Felon File, a discussion on law enforcement, history, issues, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and other parts of the world. For more information, you can go to felonfile.com or scottlunsfordauthor.com. Here you can find links to Scott and Num books and other information. You can also email us at felonfile at gmail.com. There are also t-shirts and mugs available. You can also buy us a cup of coffee. Or help purchase some of the research material and expenses it takes to do Felon File. Click on the coffee image on the web page to do so. This is Victoria your producer. Thank you for listening. Have a good one.